Thanks for tuning in to the Sword and Trial today. Uh, today we have the privilege of interviewing Mike Law. He's a pastor from Arlington, Virginia, a Southern Baptist who has uh, gained some notoriety in the last year because he determined to ask questions about whether Southern Baptist churches should allow women to be pastors in their churches. And because of his tenacity and his determination to keep pressing that question, seeking an answer to it, the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans in its annual meeting just a few weeks ago voted to amend its constitution to say, no, we cannot have women serve as pastors in any of our churches. Now, that's the first of two votes that it has to uh, survive. The next one will be at the 2024 annual meeting. But we talked to Mike about the uh, progress of that whole movement and what happened happened to him, what his thinking was, uh, the challenges and obstacles that he had to overcome, and how God has worked in the midst of that to bring some greater health to the SBC. So you want to listen to Mike. He's a wonderful pastor, and I think he's a model for pastors today to steward what God has given to us in our local congregations and in our larger connections. Welcome to The Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. And today we look forward to introducing you to Mike Law, those of you who do not know him, or to uh, providing more opportunity to get to know Mike Law if you do know him. Mike is a pastor from Virginia. He's a longtime friend. I don't even remember Mike when we met, but uh, maybe we could try to figure that out. But welcome to the Sword and Trial. Thank you, brother. It's uh, good to be with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, where you're serving now, how long you've been there, and then we'll jump into some uh, other conversation. Sure. Well, I was uh, born and raised by God's grace in a godly family. Uh, my mother and father took me to church. Uh, I was born in Arkansas, uh, so my first uh, remembrances of growing up were going to the church, actually literally just down the street from where, us. Where in Arkansas? Where? Yeah. Where uh, in Arkansas? Uh, so what, what, Hey, what town in Arkansas were you in? Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Okay. All right. Yeah. My dad was stationed at uh, little rock air force base Okay. Uh, there. And my mom was a nurse. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they took me to church. Uh, I, I heard the gospel there, uh, went to revival meetings there and, uh, heard a preacher and I was convinced of my sin, but around the age of uh, seven or so, uh, convinced that Jesus was a great savior. Mm. And, uh, I gave my life to, him then, and uh, you know, have have followed him uh, in in fits and starts. You know, <laughs> the growing pains of uh, becoming a Christian. Uh, we moved around. Given my dad was in the the military, eventually landed here in the D.C. area. I uh, went to the University of Maryland, studied criminology and criminal justice, and I'm applying that, of course, to Old Testament law now. Uh, <laughs> it's like the pastoral and, ministry, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, uh, met my wife at uh, a summer camp, uh, and she was she and I were both counselors there. Uh, and she's been a, a wonderful gift mm. to me. We've got uh, kiddos who are a blessing. Um, and uh, yeah, attended Capitol Baptist Church as a member, um, felt the callings for ministry and um, wanted to go into ministry. I told one of the associate pastors that I'd like to go to seminary. And he told me not to be silly and to run off to seminary, but to stay and to see whether or not I was qualified and gifted for such a task. And uh, so they uh, made me go through the internship there, and I was on staff there for a couple of years, and um, then went out to do uh, ministry and uh, uh, planting a, a church here in uh, in Virginia. 
and meanwhile studying and getting my my degree in the meantime okay. uh so uh we eventually after planting at church after about five years uh the lord brought us to merge with arlington baptist church uh, they had some older saints, uh, and they were they were struggling, and so we brought the two congregations together, and that was a blessing of the Lord. Mm. Uh, and uh, by God's grace, we've been um, moving on along since that merger in 2014, um, just trying to serve faithfully, uh, offer Christ week by week through the faithful preaching of God's word and and the ordinances, uh, and have been delighted to see what He's done in our church family um, over the 14 years or so of ministry that I've had here. Yeah, praise God for that. I, I think uh, I think it's probably why you were on staff at Capitol Hill that uh, you and I met. Yeah, I did you and Doctor Nettles come down for? Uh, I think it was called the Evangelical Forum back then. Maybe it was in oh four oh five. Felt like there was uh, something at, at uh, Good News Baptist Church uh, that there was a, a series of lectures or something done. I, 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 I feel like I that was the time, but yeah. maybe not. I don't remember. I don't remember. I I know I was up there. Uh, uh, Two or three times, and uh, just every time I was around you, appreciated you. You seemed serious and uh, determined, and uh, open to learning. And so I'm just delighted, man. And I got to know your your dad a little bit. Your mom and dad. I met them last year. Wow, uh, what wonderful parents! I I thank God for them too, and their faithfulness and uh, humility and love for Christ. So a wonderful legacy that uh, we can yeah. see in those two generations. Well, Mike, most. Southern Baptists and beyond will know the name Mike Law, not because of your uh, being faithful, keeping your nose to the grindstone and trying to shepherd God's people there in Arlington, Virginia, but because of what happened at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans a few weeks ago and the things that led up to that. So I remember, I don't know, somewhere along the way, you contacting me about some churches that you discovered that had women pastors in your area and trying to determine what you should do about it. So walk us through what led up to the adoption of what I'm going to call until the day I die, the Mike Law Amendment to the Constitution of the Southern Baptist Convention. So help us just kind of uh, chart the course for those who may not be familiar with it. Well, I'd love to persuade you to call it the Juan Sanchez Amendment, but Juan has, Juan has refused that. Um, yeah, so in one of the things I do as a pastor is every Sunday morning, I pray for another local church in the area. I think that it's important for us to remember the kingdom of God is bigger than our church family. And I want my church family to know that, to be excited about the work that's going on around us. So I pray for churches in, in and around our area, and I, I have a list of them that I, I kind of work through. So every time I you know drive around in Northern Virginia, maybe I'm taking my kids to swim practice or track practice or something like that, you know, I'll just notice churches. Uh, I'll try to remember their name and Google them and see what's going on there. So over a period of years, you know, I just came to realize – uh, okay, there are different kinds of Southern Baptist churches in our area, actually, who have a different understanding of what God's Word teaches on the subject of the pastoral office. And in the spring of kind of 22, it kind of uh, culminated for me that I realized, wait a minute, actually, these are some of these churches are, are very near to mine. And in fact, I realized there are five churches within a five-mile radius uh, of our congregation were Southern Baptist churches that had women serving on staff as pastors of, of various kinds. Uh, three of them had senior pastors, I think it was, and the other two had uh, women serving as associate pastors. So I, I think I reached out to you. I reached out to a couple others. Hey, what, what are the right steps in this? Uh, you and others told me that I should refer them to the credentials committee, just express that to them. 
And I, I personally thought, okay, that seems like a, a pretty strong step. So um, why don't I actually do something different first? Uh, so I kind of disobeyed you, Tom. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, look, um, you're not the first nor the last. So that's what okay. a mistake. <laughs> um, so I actually wrote to all of those churches first and said, hey, my understanding is that you're out of step with the Baptist faith and message 2000 on this point and, and scripture. Um, am I misunderstanding something? Uh, if I'm not misunderstanding something here, I, I'm, I'm probably intending to refer you to the credentials committee. Um, and so I, I tried to address it with them first, and I received uh, various replies to that um, to those those inquiries in that conversation. Um, most of them not not welcome replies. Uh, not they weren't excited about. Uh, what I was communicating, so to speak. Um, so from that point forward, I, I decided, okay, before still before I refer them again, um, l- let me reach out to the credentials committee and ask if my understanding of the process is right. So I wrote to the credentials committee and I said, hey, um, there there are a number of churches in my area that have women serving on staff as pastors. Is this something? that would put them out of friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention? Is that, a, is that the principle that the Credentials Committee is operating by? Um, the Credentials Committee never directly answered that question for me. No way. Um, right. <laughs> no uh, way. They, you mean they so, didn't answer you straight up or down? <laughs> right. They, um, okay. So I didn't get a direct response back. In, you know, in the meantime, I, I went ahead and referred them uh, to the Credentials Committee as well. Um, so I had a couple of exchanges, and eventually um, a, a member of the credentials committee wrote back to me saying, so I think you're actually asking about the Saddleback case, uh, and we just can't comment on that until we make our report at the convention in 2022. And th- that's when I wrote back to that brother, and I just said, I'm actually not asking about the Saddleback case, and I'm not actually asking about the, the five churches that I submitted to you. I'm just asking about the principle. I, is the principle correct? Am I understanding the principle correct that if you have a woman on staff, as a, as a pastor, you would be uh, out of step with the Baptist faith and message and not, therefore, uh, potentially not in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, I didn't receive a reply to that email just asking. I'm, I'm not asking about particulars. I'm just asking about principles right now. Um, so having received no reply in May, and feel free to stop me if um, at some point you want me to stop the journey. But in no, this May— is good background. I went ahead and I wrote a resolution um, because I noticed in the credentials committee process that one of the things they take into consideration are the resolutions that the convention has passed. Um, so I wrote a resolution on disfellowshipping churches with women pastors just to try to have the convention speak clearly to that. Um, I sent that around to uh, some friends. I submitted it first and then I sent it around to some friends just saying, hey, I want you to know I submitted this. Um, and one veteran Southern Baptist wrote back to me and said, you know, this is this is a good resolution. I like it. It's actually going to be declined um, for, for technical reasons, for how I particularly stated something. Uh, and then he said to me, what you actually need to do is to make a constitutional amendment. If you want the convention to take action on this, you need to write a constitutional amendment. And here's where it goes, the paragraph six. Um, and so that was all kind of in May leading up to the convention in June. Um, you want me to keep going? You wanna- yeah. No, so, so you submitted your resolution. It was turned down. It, right. Uh, and yeah. so you get to Anaheim in uh, June of 2022 and do what? 
Yeah, so I, I get there and I stand at a microphone for a long, long time. Um, Welcome to the convention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just had learned over the years. I, I've been to, I don't know, 10 to 12 conventions or so in my 14 years of ministry. Uh, you know, I, I have, I've had some of my kids' birthdays are in June, so I'm not <laughs> going for obvious reasons uh, when, when those conventions happen. Um, but uh, I, I try to be faithful in going to them. I think it's important to be there. So I just have known and learned over the years that if you actually want to speak at a convention, at a microphone, to make a motion or to address something, you, you, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. Um, so I, I went and I stood at a microphone pretty much as soon as the session began. Uh, and when the time for motions came, uh, I went ahead and I, I offered uh, that, that, um, that amendment to the Constitution. Uh, at that, that time, it was, you know, six, and it was stated in the negative language does not uh, appoint, affirm, or employ a woman as a pastor of any kind. So I went ahead and I I, I made that motion. Um, during the convention, of course, that motion was referred to the committee. You do have the opportunity to pull it out of committee if you want to. And the veteran Southern Baptist I, I talked with said, you should, you should just let it go to the committee. You know, this is a significant matter, and it's good for the executive committee to think through these things. You'll get your opportunity to address it with them uh, either in September or February. So um, you'll just have to go to Nashville and kind of make your case there. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the con- conclusion of um, the convention, so to speak, in 2022. Um, any, any, anything in particular you want to pursue there? No. So you come out of Anaheim with the hope that you'll be given an opportunity from the executive committee to address the matter when they take it up. And uh, they were going to meet, was it September and or right. something like that? Did you get any kind of uh, contact from them about when you might be invited to come and address your concerns? Yeah, I, I'm, um, I'm a little forward-leaning, so I went ahead and reached out to them mm-hmm. and said, hey, am I invited to September or am <laughs> I going to see you guys in February? Uh, and they said, you're going to you're going to come to us in February. Um, And that's when I started to think, you know, I'm just one guy. I I think there are actually other Southern Baptist pastors who are concerned about this issue as well. So I'm going to write a letter kind of laying out the case a little bit uh, to the executive committee and encourage other pastors to sign on to this letter with me. So I I wrote it in uh, late June and July. I was kind of working on this letter. I got counsel and feedback from um, other local pastors here in the area, uh, brothers who I love and trust and grateful for, and we minister in different ways together. Uh, They gave me some edits on the letter, and so um, we started kind of collecting names on the letter in uh, August timeframe or so. And I just sent it out to the local group of pastors I meet here with pretty regularly, uh, and then I started to start to send it out to broader groups that I had kind of tangential connections with. Uh, and then I just tried to send it to everybody I could I could think of. And that kind of happened all throughout the fall and even into um, into January as as well. And so the letter just started to uh, accumulate names over the course of the fall. Thank you for joining us today for this conversation on the sword in the trial. I just wanted to make you aware of some things that are coming up here that Founders Ministries is involved in. First, we do our national conference every year. 2024 is just six months away at this point. Uh, So I wanted to remind you of our national conference that is happening January 18th through the 20th of next year. Uh, Tom Askell will be there, Conrad Mbewey, Joel Beakey, Phil Johnson, and Travis Allen. And the theme of next year's conference is Remember Jesus Christ. So very important topic. 
topic, Christology, uh, for the church to be considering. Uh, if you'd like to register for the conference, you can do so by going to founders.org slash conference, and we will actually have Spanish translation there at the conference and also available through the live stream. So please do look into that. And also, you know, Founders is involved in very many uh, different ministries uh, from our publishing to our podcast to our theological journal and many other things besides. Uh, and it is our hope to be a benefit to the church. If Founders has benefited you in any way, we'd like you to consider becoming one of the FAM members, one of the Founders Alliance members. This is a way for you to be able to come on board with us and help support us in the ministry that we are involved in. If you'd like to look into that further, you can go to press.founders.org slash FAM. So you wound up with uh, 2,300 names. Is that correct? Yeah, we're close to 2,300. I think okay. it's, you know, 2,200 and some change. Okay. Over 2,000 um, names on yeah. this letter to the executive committee. So uh, leading up to the February meeting, did they did they offer you to say, hey, look, you can send us materials that uh, we'll put in the hands of all the uh, executive committee members. We'll give you so many minutes to speak. We'll have a Q&A. Tell us what they uh, offered to you. Yeah, so uh, in the fall, I had a quick Zoom meeting. It was just a 30-minute Zoom meeting with the chair of the subcommittee who received the uh, the amendment. It was referred mm-hmm. to them, um, and we just had a quick conversation about it. It's not much you can get done in 30 minutes. He told me I would be invited to the meeting in uh, February. Mm-hmm. They also told me that I would have the opportunity to submit any information that I wanted to to them in support of the amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in January, and they gave me a deadline. Uh, so in January, I sent that information in uh, ahead of the deadline. I sent in um, a 34 or 36-page paper uh, that another brother and I wrote in, in in my church family just on the issue looking at the pastoral office historically from Southern Baptist leaders, even from materials published by uh, Southern Baptist uh, press, you know, publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tried to supply them with with the argument really from our own history and from the Bible. Um, so we, we delivered that to them. We uh, delivered, I delivered that, that letter to them with uh, over 2,000 signatures, I think, at that point to them as well. And um, you know, as I was working throughout the fall, sending out emails to a bunch of people, I was also getting emails back. So some churches were sharing with me that they actually had women on staff as pastors. And so I just started to kind of compile a list mm-hmm. of, of those pastors. Um, I also knew that my particular area here in Northern Virginia has a very, um, let's put it generously, moderate uh, local association, which is very comfortable with having women on staff as pastors. And then there are two um two conventions in Virginia. Uh, there's mm-hmm. um, one convention that is, again, to put it generously, very moderate and welcoming to uh, women serving on staff as pastors. So I, I did look through, uh, not like thoroughly, but I did look through kind of those conventions and, and found a, a few churches, uh, a number of churches that had uh, women on staff as pastors. And then other pastor friends wrote to me and said, hey, churches in my area, here are a couple of churches in my area that have um women on staff as pastors as well. So I eventually compiled a document uh, that had about 170 uh, sisters in Christ who were serving as as pastors at Southern Baptist churches insofar as I could tell. And I uh, delivered kind of all of those things to the, um, to the executive committee staff for them to give to the, uh, to the, to the subcommittee and to the executive committee. Uh, as it turns out, they were going to refuse some portions of the materials that I sent. So 
in the well, end. Wait, 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 wait. Now, why would they? Re- why did they refuse some of the material? Well, they they didn't give uh, a specific reason uh, that I can recall at this moment in time. Um, what, they, what did they refuse? Uh, so they refused to give all the signatures of the those who had signed the letter. Um, it, I mean, the the document with all the signatures is very long. Um, yeah. And they refused to give the um, packet of churches with women on staff. Uh, as pastors to the executive committee as well. So I just went ahead and sent all of that to all the executive committee members individually. Okay. Uh, so I, I went ahead and just delivered that information mm-hmm. um, to them. I, I just thought it was important if they're actually going to make a decision on this issue, they needed to have that material. Because I, in my experience, some of the conversations I've been having uh, people were actually suspect about the idea that there were really any many. Um, women pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, I think even uh, as early as 2020, as recently as 2020, um, prominent Southern Baptists were saying there there are no women pastors right. in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yep. Um, and my experience was different than that. So, all right, Mike, so you they tell you, send in whatever information you'll send in. So you do that. And then they say, well, no, you can't, we're not going to distribute this information. Uh didn't give you a reason that you can recall. So you went ahead and distributed that to all of the members of the executive committee directly. Correct. Okay. Was uh, Were they okay with you doing that, or did anybody uh, seem to get upset about that? Yeah, I would say there weren't any really uh, substantial replies. Uh, there were replies from uh, executive committee members which would say, you know, thank you for, for giving this to us, Mike. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, just yeah. message received. Um so, you know, I was just praying that they would read the materials that uh, I, I delivered to them, uh, hoping to have a substantial kind of conversation about this matter in February. So what did they tell you to expect when you got there in February? What what was your setup going to be? Yeah, the setup was going to be that uh, I would have five minutes to kind of make my case for, for the amendment, uh, and then that I would have some um, Q&A mm-hmm. with the um, – with the the subcommittee, um, I thought that uh, maybe I was a little pushy. I hope that I was pleasantly pushy. I thought five minutes was a, a kind of a short amount of time to digest what we really needed to talk about. So I, I went in and I asked, like, hey, can I have 20 minutes and a PowerPoint presentation? And I knew I was asking for a lot uh, there, but, I, you know, I'm going to Nashville. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. paying my own way, paying for my hotel room. Uh, this is a significant matter in the life of our convention. And I, and I, I wanted to give it, I thought the time it deserved. Um, you know, I was told that I wouldn't get um, 20 minutes and ability to use kind of media to make that presentation, be limited to that five uh, and have some Q and A with the uh, subcommittee members. So uh, I again then just decided, you know what, I'll go ahead and give this PowerPoint presentation to the executive committee. I'll record it on, you know, on Zoom and PowerPoint and then just send it to them. That way they can have it in advance. And I've, I've tried to communicate what I thought really needed to get communicated. So uh, in the end, it was about a 16 minute PowerPoint presentation that I recorded and I sent to every member of the executive committee. I, I knew that, right, I was only going to talk with the subcommittee. But again, because at some point the whole executive committee mm-hmm. was going to need to consider the question, they... Um, they would have to, to think about it and think deeply about it. So I, I, I sent it to, to everyone again. Um, that wasn't exactly well received um, because I, I went ahead and, 
and and did that, mm-hmm. uh, I was told that I would now only get five minutes with the subcommittee, and that I wouldn't be allowed to have any Q and A interaction wow. with them. So they were so kind of the disciplining time, you for making more information available. Well, you know, I, I think the, the, the argument that I received was that I'm, I'm taking the executive committee's time that I wasn't allotted. Uh, and I would just, you know, my argument then was I actually haven't taken any time because <laughs> right. we're not actually in Nashville and at the meeting. Yeah. So uh, I sent it to them five days in advance and hopefully they can squeeze in 16 minutes somewhere to watch that, maybe on their way to the airport, or if they watch it on double speed, it'll take eight minutes, you know? So I'm, I'm hoping to not actually take as much time. Um, so I'd really like to still have that five minutes and to have that Q&A. But if you're really set on me not, you know, having that Q&A with the subcommittee, then I'll, I'll just, I'll keep to my time in the five minutes. And Were so you ever tempted to just not go? Because the amount of money and time that you spent to go to Nashville for a mere five minutes of somebody's ear, uh, you know, you're, was it worth it? Uh, I hope so. I hope that uh, it, it helped some at least. Um, so when I was at that meeting, I, uh, I did something that preachers never do. I ended early <laughs> oh, uh, no. in my remarks. So I actually only spoke for three. And then I, I, probably graded on the chairman's um, uh, kindness and said, since I finished with three minutes and two minutes remaining, I'd be happy to use my two minutes to answer any questions. Uh, Maybe that wasn't the smartest move, but I did want to elbow out room for a conversation that maybe some of us could follow up with and have Mm. down the road. Uh, And I had kind of those two minutes, I had one, I think, substantive and I hope helpful conversation uh, with a, a sister, a faithful sister serving on the executive mm-hmm. committee. Uh, and she even followed up with me, you know, after after their meeting concluded, we talked for a few more minutes yeah. uh, and have corresponded uh, down down the line still. And uh, I, I was blessed by that conversation with her. And I think we gained some clarity on some issues, but I, you know, yeah. Okay, so Mike, I was under the impression that the executive committee would vote on whether or not to bring your motion to the floor in the New Orleans convention. So I thought that February, the executive committee was going to make a a final decision on your motion. Was I mistaken in that or? No, that was the, that was the original, um, that was the original plan. Um, But before, before I got to Nashville, um, I was informed uh, I, I'm trying to remember if it was either in January or February um, that oh it was it was in um, it was in early February uh, that I received a phone call from the executive committee chairman telling me that we're not actually going to make a decision at this meeting, so mm-hmm. we're going to just have this as an item for discussion. Did they give so, you a reason? Um, they are. I think they were wanting to think more deeply. Uh, about the issue was the reason that was communicated to me. It was a complex issue, changes to the Constitution. Um, there are other kind of balls in the air as well that they wanted to think through. So that was, I can think, the kind of uh, reasoning I was given there. All right. So you go to the meeting, you make your five-minute presentation, or three-minute with two minutes of Q&A, and uh, then you leave. Did you leave with any kind of sense about uh, whether this was going forward or whether this was just going to be uh, rejected any, any sense that you had after the meeting? Yeah, not at that meeting. Um, no, or not after that meeting, really, I wasn't given clarity of, we're going to recommend this mm. to the messengers for a vote. 
uh, we're leaning in this way or we're leaning against that way. So I knew that I needed to continue to make a case and mm-hmm. to make it publicly. So I, you know, I, I shared with um, a, a couple of executive committee members, hey, I'm going to actually continue to talk about this since there's not a decision. I'm going to talk about this. And I, I think it needs to be a, a public conversation uh, so that so that the whole convention is prepared for it. Since we're not making a decision at this meeting and the convention can't begin to think about what it is they'll be facing come June, we need that to have a public conversation so that we're prepared to make a wise, thoughtful, biblical decision mm-hmm. when it comes time for the convention. So what did you do? So I then, um, with the help of some friends, I created a website that brought some of those issues to bear that shared the information that I had shared with the executive committee so that Southern Baptists know what their executive committee uh, received and saw. Um, I had friends encourage me to set up a Twitter account, which I am have personally never been on Twitter, and I have had a uh, I've had Law's Law, which is to never be on Twitter, um, but because I love the Southern Baptist Convention and I think that this issue is important and necessary, we kind of went ahead and set up a Twitter account to try to disperse some information. Some self-sacrificial love right there. Uh, try to keep it as, as, as uh, not, not about personalities, but about the issues. Um, I recorded some videos uh Man, members of my church helped in so many ways with so many of these things. Just faithful brothers and sisters saying, yeah, we think this is important too. How can we help you, Mike? And um, so there's a brother who sat with me for hours on a on a Saturday, and we recorded, you know, 30 videos or something like that to try to help uh, in short bites, help the Southern Baptist Convention kind of digest this issue. Um, so that's what we did kind of in the spring and started to kind of roll those out in April and May to try to help the convention publicly think about these issues. Um, yeah, so and, those are some of the things we, we did. And didn't Megan Basham write an article, something like uh, Mr. Law Goes to Nashville, or what, what was the title of the article? I can't recall. Oh, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was something along the lines of the Mr. Smith Goes to Washington right. kind of idea, though. Right. right. Um, yeah, it was a, a very gracious article by, by Megan, um, and I, I think helpful, at least brought some light mm-hmm. uh, to some of the issues that I was wrestling with, as well as some other issues in the convention as well. I think that was an important article. I think in some ways it shifted the conversation conversation in, yeah. in, in the life of our convention as well. So it was a catalyst in many ways. I, I certainly began having more conversations uh, with, with, I think, pastors who were thinking, this is actually something we really do need to address. Right. So that was helpful in that regard. Right now, Founders has a wonderful sale going on on our website at founders.org. We are giving everything away at 25% off if you use the code BWS25 between now and July 4th. BWS25, that's buy what standard 25. Use that code in the checkout. You can shop our website at press.founders.org. So we get to uh, New Orleans, actually, the day before the convention, and the executive committee is meeting once again. And uh, your amendment comes up, and they decide that they're going to bring it out for the convention to debate, but they're going to do so being opposed to it. And right. so we've got the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention saying, okay, we're going to bring this to the convention floor, let the messengers decide, but we're going to speak against it. So how did that land on you whenever you heard that this is what they were going to do? 
oh man, I was happy uh, because I wasn't sure that this was actually going to get to the floor yeah. um, of the convention. I thought that I might have to try to pull it out of committee. And I think mm-hmm. that's a huge hurdle to do. So I was really grateful. I mean, I would really like them to be for it, to be persuaded yeah. that um, this is the the right way to address this particular issue. Um, they, they weren't persuaded. I hadn't persuaded them of that. So, um, you know, uh, I'm grateful that they still said, yes, clearly messengers want to speak to it, and they were willing to do that. And, mm-hmm. and I'll also say that I think um, Kevin McClure's article that came out the Saturday before the convention was hugely helpful as well mm-hmm. um, in, in making clear that, yeah, Mike's put his finger on something, but it's actually a much larger issue. And Kevin just did an amazing amount of research with a, t- a team that I, I, I think is uh, really helpful to our convention and helped bring a lot of clarity as well. Mm-hmm. So I trust that that article helped push uh, the executive committee members as well, recognize that, okay, this is something that the condition needs to speak to. Um, and so to put it in their hands. Um, I, at one level, and I said I was grateful that they brought it out of committee, and I really was. And another level, I was grateful that in their memo that they gave to the convention, they actually basically said that the amendment is – exactly what we believe is a convention. Mm-hmm. So I was I was grateful for that. Now they didn't think we should put it in because you know our statement of faith addresses it. And I guess my only reply to that would be well the executive committee just a couple of years before in 2019 and 2021 actually put in uh issues concerning ethnic discrimination and uh abuse mm-hmm. into our convention's um composition our our constitution. Our constitution. Mm-hmm precisely because these are pressing issues for our convention. Mm. And so we, we've done that kind of thing in the past, and the executive committee themselves actually had done that thing in the past. So I think their, their rationale was maybe a little off, given that they had just done that a couple of years before. But nevertheless, overall, I was just grateful that the convention would have an opportunity to, to speak to it uh, as they saw fit. Yeah, well, I was grateful too, and I was delighted that it passed overwhelmingly, which it must pass by a two-thirds vote, uh, not only in the first convention where it's proposed, but the following convention, so next year in Indianapolis, it'll have to be uh, adopted again by a two-thirds vote before it actually becomes a part of the Constitution. And so, yeah, praise God that it got to the floor. Uh, I could have wished that the executive committee would have just remained neutral and just said, okay, look, this has come from a messenger. It's got 2,300 signatures of pastors on it, and we're just going to bring it out. And the fact that, that they spoke against it and the messengers overwhelmingly passed it I think that's a good indication of where many of the messengers are. Uh, I've seen some demographic studies that said that like one third, almost a third of the messengers that showed up were first time messengers Mm. to the convention. And so I believe that your amendment had a great draw in bringing those folks there to vote for it. Uh, Of course, we we did vote to remove um, three churches that had women pastors that had been presented to the credentials committee and the executive committee voted to exclude them, and their their decision was upheld uh, very uh, clearly, or I guess two of them. One of them was on a, uh, a sexual abuse issue. And so I was grateful for that. But in the process, Rick Warren, uh, who was one uh, representing Saddleback, one of the churches, he said that he and his researchers had uncovered nearly 2,000 Southern Baptist churches with yeah. women pastors. And I think the American Reformer published a study as well that indicated that was what they mm-hmm. deduced. So uh, these folks who back just a few years ago were saying this is not an issue in the convention were wrong. 
Uh, they're wrong. You've documented it. It's been documented by Rick Warren's research team, and uh, the American Reformer uh, report also indicates that. So this does seem to be an issue that Southern Baptists must deal with. Uh, one way or the other, we we got to open our eyes and see that we've got this, and we're going to have to decide whether or not we're going to be a convention of churches that allows women pastors to serve, uh, believing that that's fine biblically, or know that this is a bridge too far and that we can't go there. Mm-hmm. And, and, brother, I think what you've done, how God used you to uh, be uh, tenacious and unwilling to be deterred, which could have happened at any number of parts. I Graham, your question. I mean, if you were going to be given five minutes and you had to go to all the expense of traveling to Nashville and get in the hotel room and have all these roadblocks in front of you, I, I think I could have been easily deterred as well. I yeah. think many people would have been. But praise God for your willingness to see this uh, through and to keep pushing the agenda. What do you What do you see happening between now and Indianapolis and Indianapolis's next year's convention? And uh, what are your hopes going forward on all this? Well, you know, I hope that God is glorified in all of this, and I trust that he will be. I hope that he will be glorified, as, and I hope that he chooses that we as a convention uh, would be pleased to adopt that uh, amendment. I think it's still necessary, and the case for it probably still has to be made, even in light of the decision we made to disfellowship Saddleback and Fern Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some might think, well, hey, we, we've, we've taken this action. Uh, why do we need this amendment? What's interesting is that the convention actually adopted the amendment even after they they received knowledge that Saddleback and Fern Creek had been put out. Um, So, you know, the messengers there in New Orleans still thought, yes, this is still necessary. But I think that's going to still need to be a case that's made for Southern Baptists going forward, because while we will have many of the same messengers there in Indianapolis, we'll probably have some different ones as well, given the location. So I think um, I... We need to make the case that this is still needed. The credentials committee still needs this bright line, and that it will actually help them. Uh, we've disfellowship churches with senior lead or teaching pastors, but what about those churches who have as- associate pastors, mm-hmm. women serving sisters in Christ serving on staff as a- associate pastors, and not just not just associate pastors for children, but like we're talking about associate pastors for discipleship. Uh, they have real actual pastoral roles in the life of the congregation. That's at least true for churches still in my area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this this line actually will help the credentials committee adjudicate those cases that are referred to them. Uh, and I think that would be a blessing to them and a help to them. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll help those churches as well recognize they need to come in line with Scripture. Uh, and that's a blessing. Walking on the line of Scripture is the safest place to walk. Yeah. It's where we flourish mm-hmm. and, and honor our Lord. So... Uh, in the year ahead, we're still going to have to make that case. Friends have urged me to take a time of rest here over the course of this over the summer. So talking with you is probably going to be one of the very few things I do. And maybe in the fall, we'll, we'll kind of pick things back up and try and encourage the conversation along as well. So l- let me ask you, um, have you received anything from the Credentials Committee about the initial five churches that you reported? I have received a couple of pieces of correspondence from some uh, from the credentials committee on some of those churches. Um, one of them, uh, the church, kind of willingly decided they wanted to remove their, themselves from the convention. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, um, their their sister in Christ, who was serving as a, a senior pastor, uh, she resigned, uh, and so they dropped that case. Though in the meantime, the church administrator of that church sent me an email saying that. Uh, 
though she resigned, they still believe women should be able to serve as pastors. Um, so I sent that along to the credentials committee and said, maybe you don't want to consider this as a case closed because they still hold that position, but mm -hmm. I'll leave that in your hands. Um, and then a couple of other churches remain kind of outstanding, but I haven't heard anything from okay. uh, the credentials committee on. So Mike, what, uh, what kind of, uh, feedback have you gotten personally or even impersonally, uh, since all yeah. this has happened? Um, well, from my church family, uh, which has got to be the most important feedback I get, uh, is uh, appreciation and affection. I just, I, I serve one of the, the best, I want to go ahead and claim it, the <laughs> best church family uh, in our Southern Baptist Convention. I'm so grateful to God for them. Mm -hmm. So they've been supportive and they certainly ask questions and help me think through this along the way. Uh, so I'm grateful to God for them. Um, I've received some uh, feedback that's, uh, that, hasn't appreciated the work that I've done. So, uh, you know, I got a, a set of balloons delivered to the church with a, a nasty gram on it, but, uh, you know, that's completely normal adult human behavior. So you know, <laughs> receive that for what it is. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's too early to celebrate anyways, because, sure. uh, we, we need to see this amendment passed in Indianapolis. We want to remain faithful and keep putting our hand to the plow and, and pushing. Amen. Well, I just want to highlight, that uh, the, the, the narrative that's being told today in some sectors is not the narrative that's rooted in reality because the narrative that's being told against you is that, man, look at what this pastor has done. He has put a list of women's names on the Internet so that people can go after them and can abuse them. And, and if you believe that, then I've got some beachfront property for you in Arizona that I would love to sell you if you just contact me and we could work out a wonderful <laughs> deal. Because here's the reality is that we were told for years there's no problem. There's no women pastors in the SBC or it's just maybe five or six or something. Uh, Mike finds more than that or that many around his own uh, local church. And so he makes an inquiry and does investigation in the pro process of trying to pursue this. He discovers more. He comes up with a list of uh, 150 plus uh, other people begin to come on board, say, no, look, man, there's a lot more than this. Mike makes the case and presents the evidence of here are the churches. Here are the actual women pastors presents it to the executive committee and a news outlet in Texas gets it and publishes the list. And it's just evidence. Mike's not going after anybody. This is all public. You didn't uncover anything privately. You didn't publish anybody's phone number or home address. You just took what's publicly available and collated it in a form that the executive committee could uh, deal with it and understand the burden of your argument. And from that now, those who disagree with this, are trying to make the messenger the uh, actual subject of the narrative. It's a false narrative, reject it. Uh, what we've just gone through, what Mike's just explained to us, is a wonderful overview, I think, of how uh, any Christian who has a burden and a concern ought to pursue that burden and concern for the glory of God. And, brother, I think we owe you a, a debt of gratitude uh, for what you've done, please convey that to your church as well, that they would support you in this. This is, a, this is an example of faithful shepherding. And your church, yes, but beyond your church and the association of churches, which you cooperate with, that's going to have bearing upon your church. And so I, I think you've charted us a wonderful course to follow. Praise God. And I would just, you know, say along with your, your comments there, 
you know, again, all of that information was publicly available Mm -hmm. on uh, those churches' websites and on the Southern Baptist Convention's website. Um, And I I also want to say that as it goes with this list or any list for that matter, or any human being you meet uh, on the face of this earth, they are made in God's image and they deserve to be treated with dignity, Mm -hmm. honor, and care, regardless of what information you have about them from any source. Um, That's what our God requires of us as his followers. Uh, And so that's incumbent upon uh, everyone to treat uh, others made in God's image uh, with, with kindness and care. Amen. Well, Mike Law, thank you so much uh, for giving your time to us uh, today on the Sword and Trial. We do hope that you'll be able to get some rest and uh, enjoy uh, the rest of the summer months. And again, convey to your congregation deep appreciation uh, for uh, from many like us here who are pastors of Southern Baptist churches and wanting to commend you and them for what has been done for God's glory that we think will bring great good to many churches going forward. And if you're Southern Baptist, you know Southern Baptist, man, pass this information around because it's not over. We've got to come back in Indianapolis in 2024 and pass this amendment again for it to become part of the Constitution. So, brother, thank you. Thank you. It's about my reasonable service to Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us today on The Sword and Trial. We look forward to you being with us again next week. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.